end was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 3, Episode 7, Browns Are Gonna Brown. Hello, everyone, and nice to have you with us once again. My name is Justin, and as always, I am joined by my best friend and uh, uh, Wheel of Time guru, my friend Stephen. Stephen, how are you this week? I am doing wonderful. That's fantastic. I hope everyone else is as well. Glad to hear it. Um, So the day that we're releasing this episode is actually January 3rd, 2023, so... I guess we can go ahead and say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. So you got any big plans for 2023? Hmm. I don't know. It's early and, uh, you know, it's early to say. I just, I think 2023 is going to be a good year. I'm hoping so. I'm optimistic. Uh, yeah, of course, it's still 2022 when we're recording this. So <laughs> we're coming at you yeah. uh, from the past. Um but uh, so glad that you could be with us tonight. I'm looking forward to the new year. I think it's going to be uh, going to be a good year. I'm, I'm hoping to get more reading done uh, in 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 this year uh, than I have in the past. I've always been like I, I want to read. It's just finding the time, and then when I have the time, sitting down and doing it. But that's you know that's I guess that's my uh, my issue. I don't want to lay that on all of our wonderful listeners. You don't want to hear about all that. But, uh, Stephen, what are we going to be talking about this week? So, this week, we are going to be covering chapters 16 through 18. Uh, do, you, do you like how I, I let you do that since I messed it up last week? <laughs> <laughs> or, or I guess two weeks ago, because we didn't release an episode last week uh, during the week of Christmas, so... Uh, last time, anyway. Speaking of last time, we have a little bit of housekeeping uh, we need to do before we um, before we get into this week's discussion, and that is, I asked you a question last week because I, I think um, the topic of the Trolloc Wars came up, and I asked you uh, which came first, the Trolloc Wars or Ardor Hawkwing. And you gave me an answer, but we weren't a hundred percent certain that we were correct. Have, have you uh, checked that out and uh, so, double check that? I, I think you said that the Trolloc Wars came first. Yeah, I'm checking that right now, actually, um, because I didn't think ahead of time on this. So I do apologize for I, that. I surprised you. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, well, if, if, if it helps, um, to, if it helps you out, but I actually did look it up and, uh, you were right last week. Uh, the Trolloc okay. Wars came first. They were about a thousand years after the breaking and, um, okay. Ardor Hawkwing was, was much later than that. Uh, so you were right. 
Um, I will probably ask you again at some point when the Trolloc Wars come up again. So just yeah. be prepared. Maybe write it down somewhere yeah. and keep it keep it near where you record. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was the case. Um, it's just that sometimes when you get to look and stuff up, some of the dates can get a little confusing sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, the Trolloc Wars happened only a thousand years after the breaking. Yeah. Um, relatively short time period. Um, so not too, not so far removed from the Age of Legends as opposed to Hawkwing, which was basically he united the world what was left of the world after the Trolloc Wars. Okay. All right. So, so, so quite a bit of time passed there. Um, yeah. But again, you were right, and uh, we just wanted to make sure we were uh, clear on that. Uh, so, listeners, if you heard that last week and were wondering, uh, there's there's the answer. So let's go ahead and dive into this week's discussion as we get through these chapters, starting with Chapter 16, Hunters 3. Unexpected guests greet Egwene and Nynaeve in the Accepted's quarters, but are quickly ushered off with a threat from Nynaeve. Talk turns to the mission the Amerlin has set for them and how Elaine is going to be involved, despite the Amerlin's warnings. And at the same time, Nynaeve is prepared to take Matt's healings into her own hands, even at great risk to herself. But such plans are put on hold by another surprise visitor. So the unexpected guests are yep. none other than Gawain and Galad, who, of course, we have to be reminded, is very good-looking, uh, making, <laughs> making Egwene think some thoughts that probably are not, um, not the thoughts that an innkeeper's daughter from the Two Rivers would have thought uh, a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, you know, we I think we talked last week about how, you know, it was kind of childish of her to talk about how she's seen a little bit of the world, but maybe she has become a little bit more worldly in the year that's passed, um, yeah, based on maybe. the way she's she's thinking about um, Galad. You know, another thing that we have to be reminded of, um, seemingly every time Galad comes on the scene, is his character. And yeah. the way Elaine puts it, he does what he sees is right, no matter who it hurts, even if it's himself. Um, we have to yeah. be reminded of that every time we see Galad as well. And uh, before we, you know, just real quickly, that, that does lead to, at the end of the chapter, some, uh, how does Nynaeve put it, girlish chatter? <laughs> yeah uh we find out that um how should we say this Egwene's pretty popular among the yeah. young men from camelin um gowan is as elaine puts it besotted with her um but apparently seems like maybe galata is as well because that's the reason gowan won't say anything yeah Bro code. Um, yeah, the bro code. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I, I, I guess I do kind of like these moments because they remind us that, you know, these are, they're, they're young women. 
Yeah. Right. And even though they're caught up in this huge thing, they still have real concerns that young women might have. So, I mean, it, it, it makes the characters a little bit more real. So I guess it is, you know, reading it as, you know, a 30 something year old man, you know, now it's kind of like, uh, you know, kids, that kind of thing. You know, I'm, I'm like the grumpy old man, but the, you know, the deeper side of me says, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. So. I don't know. I think when I read through these sections, it reminds me of something else. It reminds me of just, this is the first real instance of seeing it, but, uh, these three women or girls uh, have a habit of treating men a certain way. And we see that here. Like, basically, we have Galad and Galwin who are literal, who are, who are genuinely just concerned. Their sister vanished. Yeah. Her friends with them. They disappeared. And here they are. They just want to be helpful. They want to make sure she's safe. They want to do what they can to help. And, the girls just treat them like annoyances. <laughs> Almost like they're, they're interlopers. You know, they're butting themselves in where they don't belong. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, I can Nynaeve, see Naive, especially, I... and Egwene have this, like, we don't need no man mentality <laughs> uh, until they actually do need a man, and then they get upset when one's not there at their beck and call. Yeah, wasn't that something Nynaeve said? Is like, man always tells you to... Call him if you need him, but when you need him, you need him right then. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this, I, I just, I feel bad for Galad and Gowan here because they're genuinely trying to be helpful, and the girls are just like, "You are in the way. Get out of here. We don't want you." Blah. Like even their, you know, Elaine, their sister, is basically just like annoyed and wants them gone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be to be fair, in in this case, I, I think, um, you know, Nynaeve at this point has a pretty one track mind. I think uh, she she's got something on her mind. She wants to get taken care of, and she's not gonna. Uh, she doesn't want anything to stand in the way of that. Yeah, but see, that's my problem is, and I think it's their problem is they could use help they are vastly overconfident in their own abilities at this point that's true to the we, point we see of that at the, in my i say we see that at the end of the chapter <laughs> yeah and they have two capable young men obviously you know it's not like they've got offers of help from land or somebody but they have glad and galwin aren't nincompoops yeah uh and yet instead of getting their assistance or, you know, at least letting them know that they appreciate the, like they, they treat them pretty rudely, like just trying to get them gone. Like, uh, I think that's a flaw in these girls here is they're, they don't exactly show a lot of respect to people. They, they've, they've gotten such an inflated idea of them own, their own selves that when other people try to offer help, it's almost like they think of it as it's like an attack on them. Like, oh, you don't think we can do things ourselves? Yeah. And it's not that. It's just that other people are genuinely trying to be helpful. <laughs> hmm. 
But I also wonder if some of that doesn't come from the environments that they were raised in, because you look at the two rivers, you know, who's really running the show in the two rivers? Yeah. And you look at where Elaine came from. She's going to be queen one day, most likely. And, you know, I'm sure she's got this idea, like, you know, she has to be the one making the decisions. She, you know, and in a way that's true because, you know, the buck stops at the highest level, right? Yeah. Uh, So you have to to take that. I think you have to take that in consideration, too. I'm not, I'm not, you know, defending them and saying that, you know, it's okay the way they're treating these young men. I'm just trying to understand where they're coming from, too. No, and I think you hit on something there um, because I don't think the girls are necessarily at fault here by, for acting the way they are. I think they're a product of the way they were raised and the culture in this yeah. world that Robert Jordan has made yeah. because we have a world that is substantially different from ours in that women fill almost all the roles of power in this world because the men went mad. So especially amongst the Aes Sedai, it's these women with all the power. Most of the countries throughout this world are ruled by queens. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kings are a rarity. They are still some, but they are yeah. rarer. Yeah. Um, so just the entire world's power dynamic, like most of these little villages, the women are the ones in charge. It's very different from the world we live in where people talk about, you know, the patriarchy and things sure, like that. Sure, sure. This is a world where the women have filled those power roles for thousands of years now, ever since the breaking, Yeah. Uh, because men weren't trusted, because men went mad, men broke the world, you know, men, it's all because of men's pride and everything like that. Like, that's the story, the quote, hmm. you know, even though it, it really wasn't pride that led them to do what they did, but right. uh, that's the lesson that they took, and the world kind of learned after the breaking, not to trust men. And so a lot of times what we see in this world is that the men are very much tossed to uh, servant or uh, subservient roles in a lot of the dynamics and things. So Um, they're they're kind of treated the way women have been treated for a long time in our own world. Yeah. So like you said, it kind of flips that on its head. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, we spent more time than I intended talking about Galad and, and Gowan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that would be a quick little thing, and we turned it into a, a whole uh, discussion. One other thing I did want to mention about this this little meeting is uh, rumor seems to be spreading a lot quicker than the Amerlin wanted. Because yeah. uh, Gowan and Galad already know that there were Aes Sedai killed in the tower. And they have heard rumors about Black Aja, which is the last thing that the Amarlin wanted. Um, yeah. So well, if it's if it's made it to the 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 warder trainees, who how how much further has it spread throughout the tower? Well, I would say it may. I think we may be seeing it at a slightly skewed angle here because. The people who are going to be the most knowledgeable about what has happened are going to be, in my opinion, the warders. 
Now, I would say that the Aes Sedai probably have no idea that their warders know what's going on, but the warders make it their business to protect their Aes Sedai. Yeah. They're going to make it their business to know if an Aes Sedai is murdered, and they're going to make it their business to make sure that the warders are prepared to prevent such things in the future. So with uh, Galad and Gawain spending all of their time with the warders, they may be privy to information that the everyday people, such as the other novices or the servants in the tower, the people in town, aren't privileged to. Okay. So I think it we may be seeing a case here of warder gossip is what they've gotten tapped into, as opposed to everyday tower gossip. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to bring up the point later that, you know, more people may know than what we want to know, because um, there's going to well, yeah. be... There's going to be a moment in uh, the next chapter, I think, that um, might play into oh, that as well. No, I definitely don't disagree with you. I think that it is spreading more than the Iron Man wants it to. I'm just saying that I don't think this means that, like, you know, Jim the Baker down the street, I don't think he has any idea. Uh, I, I don't. I, I, think, I, I wouldn't think it's known, you know, at least details probably wouldn't be known outside of the tower. There might be rumor. Yeah. Um, but. I, I'm I'm thinking that it might still be mostly contained to the tower, but that's a lot of people, really. I mean, it's quite yeah. quite a quite a large number. How long will it stay contained there? Um, nobody uh, who yeah. knows. Um, all right, let's let's kick them out of the room. Um, maybe <laughs> not with the you know most truthful threat, but you know what? If it works, um, let's talk about. Nynaeve's one-track mind, because she yep. never had any intent of leaving Elaine out of this. Yep, because <laughs> I, Nynaeve knows best. Not, well, I think she's got a point in in this regard, because one of the main things she ste- she says is, you know, she's not sure that they can trust the Amerlin, and one of the main reasons is, you know, she kind of thinks they're being used as pawns on the chessboard. Well, they are. And I was going to say, you know what? She's not wrong. (laughs) But, I mean, we're talking about the Amerlin seat. The woman views kings and queens as pawns on a chessboard, so... Yeah, but... (laughs) I mean, from from Nynaeve's point of view... Yeah, oh no. She's got a point... And and honestly, how long were they going to keep Elaine out of it anyway? Yeah, Even if but they I, tried. I do, I do think that while in her in Nynaeve's shoes, I would probably do the exact same thing. I do think it is a case here that she is Nynaeve is looking at things from her narrow perspective and not seeing the bigger picture. Because I think there is a genuinely good reason that the Armorlin did not include Elaine, and that is because of Andor. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but now Elaine is... She's involved. <laughs> right. And, you know, she's afraid, as she should be. Yeah. But she's also not willing to stand aside, which is... I think the definition of courage, you know, being afraid, but still doing what needs to be done. And that kind of goes back. We get a little bit of history about the, the culture of, of Andor and how, you know, 
in the past, queens have ridden into battle um, as a way to motivate their men. And yeah. I think Elaine kind of sees herself as she kind of seeing herself as doing the same thing here. Yeah. She definitely has <laughs> the Queens of Andor, in my opinion, have an, an interesting history of uh, dramatics. <laughs> and Elaine very much buys into the hype and the, I guess, in my opinion, a little bit overinflated history of her own country. And so she has these like previous rulers and or like lifted up in her head and how they're supposed to be. I think it does. It's justice to her. Like she has that courage, but I do also yeah. wonder if, if sometimes it's not a bit romanticized in her head. Like, so it's, it's courage, but it's a little bit foolhardy at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely courageous, but I think it's, I think she would be a little less quick to act if she had a little more age and wisdom to her. Mm. Uh, she's very much, it's very much courageous, but a youthful courage. Okay. A courage yeah. that doesn't know any better. <laughs> I, I, that makes sense. I, I can see that and I can, uh, I can agree with that, but we, we don't have time to grow up. Okay. The last battle is coming. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do this now. And I mean, in some ways they have kind of been thrust into it. Right. Yeah. Um, with everything that's happened, how they were involved. I mean, they have kind of been thrust into it. Um, so there is a little bit of there's some of it. It's not their fault. Um, yeah. That yeah, there is that youthful foolishness. Uh, as well. Um, speaking of the Amerlin using people as pawns, what's going to happen to Matt? At least as far as we know in Chapter 16. Yeah, they Egwene and Nynaeve especially have pretty much come to the conclusion that they're just going to let Matt die. So I think it's more Nynaeve, because I think Egwene seemed kind of surprised by Nynaeve saying that, don't, didn't she? Uh, I think it was mostly, I, get... I, I think it was mostly Nynaeve. Yeah. Um, I, think, base... I think that comes... Now that you've mentioned it, I think that it is mostly naive, and I think that comes from Egwene is very much still enthralled with the idea of the Aes Sedai and becoming yeah. one, whereas naive from the get-go has been very much defensive and has been very skeptical and very non-trusting of the Aes Sedai. Yeah. So for her to see what's happening and to assume, well, that means they're not going to heal him is a much more natural thought. Whereas Egwene still is seeing the Aes Sedai with those rose-tinted glasses of, they're the good guys. They're the, of course they'll heal him. That's the right thing to do. Whereas Nynaeve, a little bit more world-weary and not trusting the Aes Sedai, legitimately sees, oh man, they might be going to let him die. <laughs> well, she she kind of sees it for what it is, you know, for, for the Aes Sedai, and especially for... The Amerlin, it is, you know, what serves the greater good. Yeah. And that may be letting Matt die, at least as far as they can tell right now. Uh, she's definitely, you know, to Nynaeve, the Amerlin views them, including Matt, probably including Rand, and we'll say Perrin as well. I don't know how much she knows about Perrin. 
but she views them as tools. Yeah. And what do you do with a tool that you don't need? Yeah. So uh, so what are we going to do um, about Matt? Well, if they ain't going to fix him, we'll do it ourselves. <laughs> uh, I think um. we might say more about this later, but what, uh, you know, what a bold plan. Yeah, such such hubris they have here. But, I mean, come on, they're supposed to be the most powerful Aes Sedai for a thousand years, right? Yeah, everybody keeps telling them that. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Nynaeve does, I think, admit, at least to herself, that she doesn't know if she can do it. Yeah. But if nobody else is going to try, then she feels like they have to at least try, even at yeah. great risk to themselves. So I guess that's yeah. commendable. Yeah, because Nynaeve is, like, despite how much everything has changed, she views them like they're her charges. Yeah. Like, she was their wisdom, she's responsible for them, and she's genuinely, she is a healer. She is not one that would let anyone suffer if she could help it. And she's not going to just stand by and watch Matt die if there's even a chance she can do something for him. Yeah. I don't think she genuinely has any idea that she like any hope of actually being able to do it, but she's just not the kind of person who can. She has to at least try. She yeah, she couldn't live with herself if she didn't at least try. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's the plan, but yeah. it gets interrupted. Of course. And that carries us right into chapter seventeen, the Red Sister. The surprise visitor turns out to be Elida, who has harsh words for Elaine, but seems determined to protect her. Talk turns to the topic of Randall Thor just before Sheriam appears to take the girls to be witnesses as the Aes Sedai attempt to heal Matt. Um, quick question, um, maybe a reminder. Why is Elida in the tower? Elida is in the tower because she brought... Elaine, Gowan, and Galad from Camelon. Right. Why didn't she go back to Camelon? Because Elaine screwed everything up. Because <laughs> Elida uh, doesn't have anywhere to go now. Because Elaine got her kicked out of Andor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, not only did she lose Elaine, who she was grooming to for the Reds, then she loses her position, her power, her title as the advisor to Endor. So Elida has lost a lot thanks to their little escapade. Lost standing, lost face. You know, we talked about the game of houses. Yeah. Elaine disappearing was a big blow to Elida, to both her ego, to her standing amongst the other Aes Sedai, to her position in Andor. Elaine, Elida is rightfully ticked off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, and if I were in her her shoes, um, which are probably red, by the way, if if that wasn't described, because is this woman proud of... Is this woman woman proud of being a red Aja or what? (laughs) Um, You know, if I were in her red shoes, I would probably be pretty upset myself. Everything that has has not gone her way. Um, 
So, yeah, she's uh, maybe to a point rightfully so. She definitely definitely might be one to kind of keep an eye on, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, one thing that I was curious about is one of the first things she says before they really get into the conversation that she came to have, uh, she said something, um, oh yeah, she noticed Nynaeve holding her little, her bag that had her herbs and stuff in it and said something about how Nynaeve clinging to the past is what was holding her back. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think she's got a? You think she's right? Do you think she's got a point? Do you think she's just being mean because she's unhappy with the way things have gone? No, I think it's a genuine, uh, genuine observation here. Uh, yeah, I think Nynaeve definitely does need to, like, we talk about her block and her only being able to channel when she's angry but we also see that for her to do her to do healing she also has this kind of a block in that she feels that she has to have her herbs with her for her healing to be effective like it's almost almost a superstitious mental block that she's created for herself it's it's a little bit of a crutch wouldn't you say Mm -hmm. because she has you know uh, we know that in the past she has healed, you know, through the power, but at the same time she was trying to do things the way that she knew, you know, using her herbs and things like that. Yeah. And I guess so It maybe it's natural for her to kind of want to cling to that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I agree. But it is yeah. that situation where it becomes a crutch. Yeah, and the the problem with the crutch is if you keep using the crutch, you're never gonna know how to walk without it. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what. And I I was kind of thinking the same thing. I thought Elida had a point. Uh, I just wanted to get mm-hmm. your thoughts on it. No, I agree, and that's that's another thing you have to consider here is uh, just because we get off on this foot with Elida because. The first time we see her, she's, like, obsessed with Rand. And that, of course, is going to come back up here in a second. But that doesn't make her a bad guy. No. Uh, Not necessarily, It's easy no. to paint her as the villain here, especially in this scene, because she's, like, interrogating the girls, and she's threatening and imposing. But that doesn't necessarily mean she's evil or bad or Black Aja or anything like yeah. that. It's just that she is opposed to the things that are going on. I I think maybe another side to that is, you know, she is Red Aja. And our impressions of the Red Aja so far have kind of been tainted by Moraine. Yeah. And maybe maybe Swan a a little bit, um, who also came from the blue. Um, So I think we're meant to kind of carry that baggage with us and the only other significant red that we've encountered so far has now run off with the black aja (laughs) yeah so uh i i 
it's not surprising that we would be mistrusting of her. Um, you mentioned her obsession with Rand. Um, I guess you could call it an obsession, maybe a curiosity. I think that was more of what it was at first. Um, but she definitely I think wants... it was a curiosity at first, but the fact that this is the third time she's asked them about Rand, I think it's leaning towards obsession. Okay, maybe it is. And she does she does ask them about Rand. She doesn't have a whole lot of time to uh they don't have a whole lot of time to talk about that. Um yeah. Before they get interrupt, get interrupted. Of course there's there's more to their conversation as well. Um I guess just like everybody else, she wants to know where they've been, what they've been up to, um, all of that that's going on. Yeah. Um, partially because, you know, she, at least she says, you know, she's wanting to protect Elaine. Um, whether that's for Elaine's benefit or her own uh, remains to be seen. I think probably she genuinely cares about Elaine to some extent. Um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she cares about Elaine because Elaine is useful to her, and she spent a lot of time grooming Elaine. Oh, that sounds very Sedai of her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think I think Elida views Elaine like maybe when he her fate like. To use the chess analogy again, maybe Elaine was her favorite rook, and you know it, she's still a pawn, a, a piece on the board, but maybe she was a piece that she had high hopes of, you know, a particular goal in mind using that piece, and now everything's been kind of smashed. She but, she was the pawn that was going to get to the end of the chessboard and get turned into a queen. Yeah. <laughs> and quite literally in some cases in some sense <laughs> yeah but you know it's it's interesting here um you bring up you know the the conversation and how Elida you know is seeking information about like what happened to them where they went offering I think Elida here is genuine in her offer to help them um now it's definitely to her own goals I, I was just going to say but to what end <laughs> yeah but i think she is genuine in the fact that she's like she's offering protection to elaine and then she says and i'll extend it to you two as well right we're all together now i think her offer there is genuine uh she she is keep like she can't lie she's said the three oaths true so i think she genuinely means that she will protect them if they come out and tell her everything yeah. Uh, obviously, they're not going to do that. And I think it's also interesting, uh, Egwene is starting to try and come up with uh, lies, and Nynaeve already has one ready. Sure. Um, but I wonder if Nynaeve didn't make a misstep here. How so? Because what, what, what she's done, instead of coming up with a lie for what they did, or giving her some reason to uh, think to put it to bed. Instead, she just basically puts words in the Omerlin's mouth okay. and creates a scenario that just brings about more intrigue and questions for Elida. Because now, what, what Nynaeve has done is make it look like the Omerlin is hiding something. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Because, um, yeah. So she, Nynaeve has inadvertently here planted seeds for Elida of the Omerlin being up to something. So to to get suspicion off of them, Nynaeve <laughs> has inadvertently drawn suspicion to the Omerlin, which is a dangerous thing. That is quite worrisome. <laughs> yeah. Because, oh, and you boy. didn't even see it in the way Elida responds when when uh, Nynaeve says, like, the Omerlin said, all of our all of our uh, discretions are supposed to be in the past. We're to speak to none, and they should be like they never existed. And Elida's like, she said that, did she? Yeah. <laughs> like, huh, she did, huh? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Ooh, we better keep an eye on that. Yeah, so I... Yeah, it will. Nynaeve, love her to death, but sometimes, and it's just because they're age, and they're yeah. not used to this yeah. world of intrigue and politics. They are honest people, Egwene and Nynaeve especially. Yeah. Uh, they come from a, ta- a place where everybody basically speaks their mind. They're used to people being upfront about stuff. They're not used to subterfuge and... Uh, secrets and lies, and it shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they they did not grow up playing the great game. No, <laughs> for for so. certain, um, might have been playing their own games that they play in the two rivers between the women's council and or yeah the women's circle and the village council, but yeah, um, <laughs> uh, definitely not at this level. Thankfully. Sheriam saves the day. Uh, because for the second time, an Aes Sedai comes into the room unannounced. And this time, it's uh, Sheriam to um, bring them some good news, which we'll get to in a minute. First of all, it, 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 it signals the... Uh, I guess it's it's Elida's cue to leave. Right. Um. Then, once again, Nynaeve opens her mouth and starts asking questions about something that one person in the room is not supposed to know anything about. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. It's, I, I, really, I even like the way that that, um, that plays out. And Sherry's like, well, judging by the fact that Elaine is not surprised by what you said. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know those weren't her exact words, but it was something along those lines. Um she mentions that there are, I think now, seven people in the tower who know about the Gray Man. Um, yeah. I guess two of them are men. I'm, I'm assuming servants of some kind. Right. Uh, the other five would be the four women that are currently in the room, and I would assume the Amarlin seat herself. Yeah. Um, so... This kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier about rumors and things like that. Is does Sherium Sadai actually expect those two men to keep their mouth shut? I don't think she expects them not to say anything, but I think like she makes a point of the fact that they literally un- they know they were carrying a body. They don't know it was a gray man. They don't know that they the person was murdered. She basically just got two servants to carry a body. 
So the body for of, all they know, it, the body of a man. Yeah, the body of a man who was in the novices' quarters. Well, we don't know that. We don't know if like she could have moved the body out of the novices' quarters before she ever got the men involved. Fair point. But uh, do you think so? We she don't did? know that they have. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying she's fully capable of having moved the body somewhere else and like made it seem a lot like for all we know she moved the body into like a bed in the infirmary and had two men say, oh this person was beyond healing and she could have come up with an entire elaborate thing so okay. that they wouldn't assume anything strange but we're not okay. told okay uh, I don't buy it <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will let you uh, I will let you that's your story and you're sticking to it uh, I mean, it's just a hypothesis. Yeah, I know. Because we don't have the information to know for sure. I know. Well, you you, you, you think your way, I'll think my way. Uh, At this I don't... point, it's Schroding, Schrodinger's body. Because, Schrodinger's you know. body, that's right. Um, <laughs> well, seeing as you've taught me not to trust anybody, uh, I don't trust those two men. Um, <laughs> and they're probably going to say more than they need to. Uh, maybe I don't know. I don't know how much they know, how much they realize. Um but that's kind of put out of the back of our minds because Sherryam has brought some good news. Um, healing in the White Tower is done in the presence of those who bring the sick to the tower. Yep. Which means they're at least going to try to heal Matt. Yeah. Which uh, point I wanted to bring up, do you have any idea why that's the case? That the healing is done in the presence of... Yeah. I had not really thought about it, to be honest. I have a feeling, and this is just based on my own understanding of the culture here. I have a feeling that the reason this is done this way is because people are so distrustful of Aes Sedai and the One Power that they heal people in front of those that have brought them so that, that per when the person is healed, superstitious people won't assume something ill happened. Like, if you have a person that you bring who is dying, and all of a sudden he goes in a room with these witches and comes back out healthy as right as rain, how many times are the superstitious people going to assume, well, that's not my my father. That's They replaced him with some kind of demon or... You know, that's that's not him. It's They made something that looks like him. You know, if he so goes home and of, acts slightly different, you know. Kind of, kind of like a, the, the, the legend of the changelings. Yes. Uh, that kind of situation. Okay. Yeah, I think it is um, because they want people to feel safe to come to them for healing. So they're trying to be as transparent and open as possible okay. when they do it. So that people will trust them, and so that people will trust the people that they heal going forward. Interesting theory. Um, yeah. I, have, I have no reason to dispute it. I don't think I want to dispute it. I, I, I think it sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's just what um, makes sense to me, because yeah, there's so sure. much distrust. Like, the fact of anybody even coming to the Tower for healing is seen as something that, like, basically only desperate people will do. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, well, Matt is pretty desperate. Um, yeah. As as we're going to see, um, I guess we can go ahead and move into uh, the next chapter. Sure. Um, which is chapter 18, uh, simply titled, Healing. Deep in the heart of the tower, Egwene, Elaine, and Nynaeve watch as a group of ten Aes Sedai, with the help of Asang Rial, link together to heal Matt of his connection to the Shatter Logoth Dagger. The old blood comes again, and the healing is complete. But it's still unclear exactly what's going to happen to Matt. Uh, I just want to say right here at the beginning of the chapter, as, you know, this is maybe the, I don't know, maybe about the third time since we left the Amarlin study that there's been some hint of not trusting Sherium. Um, and I gotta be honest, I'm personally finding it difficult not to trust her. I know that we're not supposed to trust anybody at this point, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just not, you know, I, I want to trust her. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just finding it difficult not to. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> So. I think at this point in the books, uh, especially here in the tower, Robert Jordan does a great job of making everybody seem untrustworthy. Like there yeah. is suspicion to go around. Well, that's just the thing, though, is I'm not finding her untrustworthy. Maybe I should, um, but I'm not. <laughs> um, so. By the way, what is what is Sherium's Aja? Do we know that? Um, I don't think we do yet. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure if that had been revealed um, or not. Anyway, I don't, don't uh, believe it had us at this point. Okay. Um. Anyway, the main the main reason we're here is is for the healing. Um and. What a moment it is. Yeah. You know, it's where, called a healing. It's like, where it, do we start? <laughs> yeah. So, it's called a healing, but in my opinion, what we see here is less healing and more, to me, like an exorcism. Okay. Uh, it's like something you'd see in one of those B-horror movies with, you know, the exorcism of Emily something or another. or something. Yeah. Like, you know, it's very or, what, much... Know, the, the classic with uh, Linda Blair. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it really does kind of, I guess, invoke... rings of that. Yeah, it does kind of invoke that imagery with all that's happening to, you know, to Matt during this. I mean, his body is, like, kind of twisting and convulsing. He's shouting in tongues. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, you're right. It does kind of feel more like an ex exorcism than... It's not like healing a, a you know, a, a sickness or healing tiredness like we've seen Moraine do. Yeah. Um, we're trying to break his connection to this object that is tainted by this evil. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it is kind of like a, an evil spirit being pulled out of him. Yeah, because in um, that, in all honesty... That is what they're working to heal here. It has nothing to do with his physical body. Right. What they're trying to do here is to save his soul. 
Yeah. That's what the dagger is attaching to. It's not like it's attached to his heart or his lung or his arm. It's attached to something deeper. It's attached to that soul that is being spun by a pattern. Uh, it's a much deeper type of sickness than a simple cancer or a simple cut or wound. Uh, it is basically Mordith trying to copy and paste himself over Matt is what the dagger is trying to do. It is basically trying to erase Matram Cawthon and rebirth Mordith in his body. Mm. Uh, and so you literally do have almost this demonic force here that is trying to overcome and to conquer Matt. Yeah. Uh, and they are trying desperately to separate those two before it's too late. Don't don't we already have one poor sap running around out there that's kind of channeling Mordeth? Yeah. Uh, so so what you're telling me is that if this did not work, or if Matt was not able to be broken from this connection, there's a possibility there'd be two Mordeths running around of some kind? If he managed to survive. Yeah. I don't think Matt, because of the prolonged nature of what has happened here and the yeah. attempts to to heal him over and over, I don't know that his body will withstand that at this point. Yeah, well, it looks um, like by this point his body has nearly given out as it is. Yeah, like, I think if, like, looking back to the eye of the world, uh-huh. if things had kept going like they were in Camelin before Moraine showed up, then I think we Matt would it would have succeeded, yeah. And Mordith would have taken hold completely. But Moraine's intervention there, and then her and the Omerlin and Varen's intervention in Baldara, and Varen's continued attempts to heal along the way, lessened the connection to the point that they were no longer in danger of Mordith walking again. But at the same time, there was no way to break it, and eventually they were just. It was going to kill Matt. Yeah. Is to the is that the point we reached at this point? Mm. Uh, so let's talk about how much power it takes to break this connection. There are ten Aes Sedai who are involved mm-hmm. in this, but that's not all. Yeah. What else? What else are we looking at um, as this connection is being broken? So, the White Wand, uh, the most powerful saw Angriol that the Tower possesses, uh, in the hands of the Amruin Seat, who is in the top tiers of power. Yeah. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Is Elida also here? Or no, I don't not. think so. I I made a list. Um, it's the Amarlin, Liana, Sherium, Varen, Seraphel, Alana, Anaya, um, a white sister whose name we don't know at the beginning, and then two sisters that um, we don't know at all. Okay. So no, so as far as we can Alana... tell, Elida is not here. Okay, so Swan is and Liana are rel- are pretty high powered. Uh, Alana and uh, the other A name that I can't remember. Anaya. Anaya. 
are are also both respectively powerful. Um, okay. Probably on par, if not slightly under Moraine. Okay. So these are not weak Aes Sedai. Uh, so and these honestly, are these are among the most powerful in the tower right now. Yeah, I would say they're at least in the top like fifty. Okay. Uh, so th- these are our powerful sisters. Now, here's the thing. And Angriol, um, just to kind of explain the power scaling here. Yeah. Um, we saw that little Angriol that Moraine has got. Um, mm-hmm. Think of it like this. An Angriol, if you have a person that can channel and say that their maximum potential for the amount of the power that they can hold is a bathtub's worth. Okay. Okay. By themselves. By themselves. Okay. And so then if you get add an Angriol to it, it is like adding. So yeah. a relatively powerful Angriol, you might go from being able to use one bathtub's worth to being able to use three or four. Okay. So it's an ex- it's a pretty strong extension there. Yeah. A saw Angriol, instead of adding, think of it like multiplication. Okay. So vastly bigger amounts so, of power. So, so like, like going from a bathtub to an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Yes. Or more. <laughs> yeah. So it is okay. a huge leap uh, in the amount that they are able to channel. Then you also compound upon that that uh, linking, which we yeah. haven't talked much about it yet. But I can well, say some without. We haven't giving really seen it. Yeah, I can say some here without giving any spoilers because it's okay. it's logistical stuff. It's not story spoilers. But when a sister links and channels together, it doesn't just add their powers together. It's also multiplicative. So okay. three sisters linked can channel more than the three of them could separately. Okay. So by forming a link, it's almost like they're already using an Angriol. And so then you do that, add the song, real. This is a massive amount of the power here. All right. Um, and so it is probably the most power that's been wielded in the tower since the Aiel War. Okay. Um, okay. If not, you know, maybe the possibly when this the Tarvon was being sieged by Arthur Hawkwing's forces. Like this is, this is a lot of power being wielded. This this doesn't happen every day. No, (laughs) I guarantee you every single person who can channel in that tower can feel it. Yeah. Oh, and any possible Merdral or Trollocs in the like countryside can also feel it. Like this is basically, enough power to light a beacon for anybody who can sense channeling for, I'd say, probably a good hundred miles. Okay. This is a right. substantial and, amount of power. And and here, I guess here's the thing. All of that power and it's still a fight. Yep. It is still, I mean, we, we talk about at the end of it all, which um, good news at least as far as we can tell, it works. Yeah. Um, at least that's what we're told, is that he is broken of that bond. Um, it's been almost a year um, yeah. since he first 
got connected with that dagger. And we mentioned there have been, you know, I know when they were in Faldara, they did something to kind of um, help him survive a little bit longer. And yeah. I know Varen's been doing things, and there has been healing along the way just to kind of prolong it. But um, finally, after all that time, it's finally broken. And at least according to what the Amberlin says, he should live. Yeah. Um, but there may be long-term effects. Yeah, that's the thing. This is not something that's ever been done before. This is yeah. not something that has been studied. So they don't know just because they, they know for a fact that the connection is broken. They don't know what lasting effects that connection being around so long will have on Matt or yeah. what will wake up. For all they know, Matt will never wake up. Like he might be in a coma the rest of his life. Like there's no, they're in completely foreign territory here. There's no like, he's patient zero for this kind of thing. And uh, just to uh, point out how much, um, how much of a struggle it was, these Aes Sedai are clearly spent. Yeah. Uh, all the effort that they put forth. And this last maybe, you know, a few minutes, it seems like. Yeah. Um, but they are, I mean, you would think they had, just run a marathon, if not two. <laughs> yeah, I, there's um, there's one point um, that I wanted to bring up, and I forgot to add it into my notes. Okay. Um, before we move past it, um, talking about the amount of power here that is yeah. needed to do this, there is a section, uh, and I'm gonna read it so I don't get it wrong. Okay. Um, basically, once all this channeling's starts um they start to uh the girls are just like absolutely enthralled and amazed by the amount of power that's being used here and Nynaeve says something and she even surprises herself when she says it um she says and they're talking about like they think because of how Matt's reacting that they're actually killing him as opposed to healing him yeah uh, because it's so violent um, and Nynaeve is saying, no, if we stop them, if we could stop them, he'll die. I do not think I could handle half that much of the power. Then she paused as she had just heard her own words that she could channel half of what ten full Aes Sedai with a song we all could, could do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now do you understand how powerful Nynaeve is. Because I don't uh, I think Nynaeve really even understood it until right now. I, I understand how powerful Nynaeve thinks she is. Yeah. Um, do you think... Are, are you telling me that that is a testament to how powerful she really is? I think it is. I think okay. that's her realizing... Like, because she shocks herself even just saying it. So you think she has actually has some internal realization that she could potentially handle about half as much power as they are right now by herself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so you think that's, that's, that's legitimate. It's not just hubris. No, I think it's, it's a genuine realization and I think it actually okay. scares her. Uh, I, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Okay. I don't think so. My, my thing is, 
Nynaeve is understanding of what she's capable of. She can only use it when she's angry. But she would be understanding, like, she can tell how much she's okay. able to pull on and channel when she, cha okay. like, when she called lightning in to fight the Sean Chan and stuff. Yeah, okay. So she knows what she can handle, and now she's see she is seeing other Aes Sedai basically going all out. And she is realizing for the first time, her all out and their all out are worlds apart. Okay, I, I get. I see where you're coming from. I, I get what you're saying now. So, yeah. um, wow, and yeah. wow. Okay, yeah. I just I couldn't let that go by without saying something about that because it's a big uh, revelation for her, and I think that is a sobering and shocking thought that she's confronted with here. And I think that going forward, this is going to change some things for Nynaeve and how she feels about the Aes Sedai and their teaching. Because I think this right here is going to give her a genuine idea because here's the thing. What I think this is the other part of what she realizes here. She can have all the power in the world and if she can't use it, it's not doing her any good. Right. I think this moment right here is is showing her that despite her raw ability, she needs knowledge. And she needs control. She's got to have that. She can't just... She's been doing the bare minimum that she has to do to try and get what she wanted from the Aes Sedai. And I think this moment here is going to set her on a new path of understanding the depth of what she still has to gain. Okay. So I think this moment, while it, it doesn't get talked about a lot here, I think this moment, looking at the big picture, is a moment that really has an impact on Nynaeve. Glad you brought that up because I I think I, I think that's that's important for us to be aware of. But, um, let's talk a little bit about Matt and Matt's, oh, yes. um, Matt's reaction to what's happening to him. Not so much the physical, like twisting of his body, but, um, he starts, as I said before, speaking in tongues. Yep. Um, specifically, the old tongue. Yep. Uh, do we want to try to read it or? <laughs> I'll give it a uh, shot. Go for it. Mudrin tidar alen kabadrin radin las valdar kubilari las kalar and kaldazar al kaldazar. Now that last part I know that we've heard before. Yes. Um, and we actually, it mentions Egwene recognizes it uh, for the honor of the Red Eagle, for the Red Eagle, which, um, and I think maybe we're told this later on, but it's a battle cry of Menetherin, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, do we want to talk about what this means before we talk about the other statement, or? Sure. Okay. What, uh, you know, so so what what does he what does it mean? What is he saying? Uh, he's basically 
like he's reliving an ancient battle here. Um, and what the Aes Sedai will reveal in a little bit is he's giving orders to men. He's leading, uh, and he is, he's basically, they believe him to be living in two moments at once, basically, right here. So, like, uh, past life experience? Yeah, but a lot more visceral. Um, okay. So, it, it is, hmm, how to say things without saying things. <laughs> Uh, what is happening here is he is reliving a memory of someone from the past while also actively being conscious in the present because he realizes that he's surrounded by Aes Sedai. Yeah. Um, so the question is, is this just a random memory? Is it a past life of Matt's? Is it something that just stems from the old blood? Is this something that has something to do with the dagger connection? What is causing this? Yeah, I just want to mention that um, you, you mentioned an ancient battle. We're talking, I believe we're actually told, 2,000 years in the past. Yes. So, you know, think about our own time. That's, you know, the height, or kind of the height of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. You know, twenty twenty two A.D. You know, um, so uh, think about how long ago that was for us. And now here's Matt. You're telling me shouting orders to troops in battle in a battle that happened two thousand years previously, but at the same time, also in the present. Yeah, my head hurts. Yep, it should. <laughs> it does not make a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, it leaves us with so many questions. But I've got a feeling that at some point it's going to make sense. Oh, I'm sure. But it is not this day. <laughs> no. Uh, what's the other thing he he shouted out? I'll, I'll give this one a shot. Okay. Um, Miyayende Aes Sedai. Kabelein Masenye, Inde Muagde, Isadai Masenye, Miyayende. I hope I didn't just, you know, summon an evil spirit or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what that means, I guess I got to turn back to the page. Um, let's see. Uh, where was it? It's on the next page. Um, uh, Uh, he what what the Armalin tells them is that um, he was commanding them to release him. Said, "I am a free man, Aes Sedai. I am no Aes Sedai meat." Um, she said, "That's what he said." Um, yep. So, and, and that's you know the present, um, I guess, coming through while also in the past, uh, and I guess. Here's the question. Is that Matt talking? Or is that what was attached to him? 
I know that Matt has a lot of reason not to trust Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. And I know this is a very vulnerable moment, so if that is in there, it is likely to come out. But I guess that's going to be my question. Is it Matt? Or is it what was attached to him? I would present a third option. Okay. Was it someone in some way tied to Matt that is completely separate? What do you mean? So they talk about the old blood and how the old blood has come again. It could be, in my opinion, it doesn't it doesn't have to be Mordeth. I don't think I think what we're seeing with Matt, uh, so we have Perrin who has the wolf bond. Yeah. We have Matt oh we have Rand who's the dragon and can channel and all that. Yeah. With Matt here, he seems to be the one that is the most purely and directly tied to the old blood, the blood of Manetha. Okay. What if that is less a metaphysical thing, or what if it is less a thing of actual blood and more that his weave, his thread in the pattern is more closely tied in with those of others in the past? Okay. So the old blood sings in him. What if the person that's talking here is basically for Matt a past life? Like it's not Matt, but it's not but, Mordith. But but someone in the past that Matt is tied to. Yes. And they're just kind of bursting through in this moment and they see themselves surrounded by Aes Sedai. And that's yeah. how they respond. Okay. Um, viable option. Um, and I'm glad, to, I'm glad to have a third option. Because <laughs> yeah, I think, and this is just, this is uh, Stephen theory time. Um, I like to think he, what's happening here. Because uh, every time they've tried to do any healing or anything like that with this dagger... One of the big things that they've done, one of the things that Maureen, Maureen talks about is that they had to bolster what was Matt to strengthen it against the dagger. Okay. Um, I'm wondering if that bolstering combined with Matt's Taviran nature and the effect that that would have on his thread and the pattern has not more, like, the old blood was present. Matt had these little slips here and there before Shadar Logoth. I wonder if by trying to strengthen what was Matt, if they have separated him from one connection and strengthened another. Interesting. Like, they have bound him more closely to the old blood, to those pasts by separating him from the dagger, they had to, in my mind, I wonder if maybe to fill the gap that the dagger left, possibly the reason that Matt survives is that his, his soul has something else to hold on to. Very interesting. And, uh, I'm anxious to find out more, <laughs> but I guess we'll have to keep reading for that. Won't we? Yep. Uh, well, the good news is, is as we said, the connection to the dagger is broken. Um, everybody is flat out exhausted, including Matt. Yeah. And, but he should live. Um, 
only other thing I, I wanted to mention here is um, I just it was a funny moment to me, but also a um, I guess not entirely unexpected. There were two sisters of the Brown Aja involved in this, Varen and another sister named uh, Seraphel. And as soon as this is over, they've got their heads together, I guess, you know, talking about what just happened. I mean, it's, Browns are going to brown, right? Yep. (laughs) Uh, That's exactly what it is. They're, They're doing what Brown Aja do. And I don't know. That just I, I kind of laughed out loud at that moment when I was reading it because it's it's just uh, I guess from what we've experienced with them, it's what we've come to expect. Uh, it's not surprising at all. Yeah. Um, so, any final thoughts from you this week? That's going to be I guess end our discussion. But do you got anything to finish up with? Um, just that I think if they weren't tied before. The Omerlin here in healing Matt has well and fully set in hooks with the girls because now they owe her. Ooh. And Matt owes her. Like, yeah. there is a debt now that didn't exist before this. Yeah. And isn't there, like, isn't there something we've talked about in the past where when an Aes Sedai heals somebody, it does kind of create a bond between them? It does. Okay. So, by leading the healing, the Omerlin has made sure that she is the one that that bond will be established with. And so, basically, from here on out, she can all, she'll can she always be able to find Matt. Oh. So, Matt no. literally cannot run from the Omerlin. Uh, you know, this is one of those moments that I wish I hadn't stopped my personal read-through. Yeah. Because, you know, I stopped it for the sake of the show, so I could kind of go into later books completely fresh. But there are things that I know from the future that I want to know how this might tie into it. <laughs> yep. Um, wow, you've given me so much to think about tonight. Um, you know, Shatter Logoth is the worst. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, in a lot but of thankfully, ways... In a lot of ways, the evil of Shadow Logoth is worse than the evil of the Dark One. Uh, uh, because it is the worst of us. What created yeah. Shadow Logoth was humanity turning on itself, embracing right. that darkness, and doing some, creating something worse than anything the Dark One would inflict. Yeah, yeah. But, but thankfully... Um... At least as far as the dagger is concerned, um, that connection is broken. Correct. So that's a good thing. That's yeah. a good place to. That's a good note to leave it on for this week. And um, I think we've got some fun things coming up in the future. I don't know how far in the future, but I'm excited to see where some of these things go. And, uh, of course, if they come up again, you'll have to remind me, because uh, <laughs> I forget everything. Um, that's all right. Huh. Well, I guess that's going to do it for us this week. So, um, if you stuck with us this far, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And I just remind you that um, you can find new episodes on Tuesdays. 
that um, we are here every week, uh, most every week. Sometimes we'll take a break for holidays or other things that we have going on. But usually you can find us here on Tuesdays and with a new episode each week. Uh, make sure you subscribe uh, wherever you're listening so that you can get those new episodes when they are released. And if you can, go ahead and leave us a rating and review. We would greatly appreciate that. That will help to get more eyes on what we're doing here. You can also interact with us on social media, um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. Send us an email if you want. All of those um, handles and addresses, um, page names, whatever you want to call them, are in the show notes uh, as you're listening to this episode. So you can find us in those places. Uh, We would love to hear from you. Interact with us um, as you can. Stephen, what are we doing uh, next week? Uh, Next week, we are going to cover chapters 19 through 21. Chapters 19 through 21 of The Dragon Reborn. We've got a lot of fun things, I think, coming up in this new year. Um, And uh, I think it's going to get very exciting. So I'm looking forward to next week. Hope that you can be with us then. Make sure you read those chapters in the meantime. And until then, once again, we'll say Happy New Year uh, as we begin 2023. And I hope you'll stick with us um, as we get keep going right through this story. Uh, thanks a lot, you guys. And uh, we'll see you back here next week. Y'all all have a wonderful rest of your day. 